Welcome to Line Noise. We're here, uh, it's at Primavera Sound, and we are taking advantage to speak to an artist who is going to be DJing here later tonight. It'll have already passed by the time you hear this, but uh, believe you me, it was later th- uh, tonight. Martin. Hi, nice to uh, be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, it's a sunny day, beautiful weather, we're by the sea. Um, but if, if you don't mind, I wanted to ask uh, sort of quite a uh, depressing question, I suppose. But uh, last year, um, you you had a very serious uh, medical emergency. Your, your, your heart essentially stopped. Uh, could you tell us a bit what happened exactly? Um, well, it's... Um I guess it's part of a, a bit of a, a longer story. Um, uh, about f- 10, 12 years ago or something, um, I was diagnosed with a heart defect, like sort of a genetic uh, disease. Um, so um, I already knew that something was sort of wrong. Um, uh, I was sort of, uh, you know, I had medication for it and all that stuff, and they try and sort of uh, keep the, the condition of the heart kind of stable so you can sort of do your thing and just live on, basically. But there was always a risk that um, at one point in time it would actually just sort of stop, which is what happened um, last year. Um, it's pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty life-changing, literally life-changing event. Obviously, uh, you know that sort of saying that uh, you know your life sort of flashes in front of your eyes. That's literally what happened, and um, yeah, it just you know changes your perspective on on everything basically. So um, yeah, it was. Um, a thing that uh, we tried to sort of uh, document in a film as well um, for a, a resident advisor called Origins, uh, where um, yeah, I sort of tried to explain you know how life is after uh, sort of touching death. So. And I mean, it's a very hard thing to say, but how is life after touching death? Um, it's uh, it's quite different. I think um, I think you just start to value um, things in a different way. Um, where maybe, you know, before this whole event happened, um, I, I used to get quite stressed out about, you know, music, your career, uh, money, things like that. And obviously, you know, when something like this happens, you see that, you know, family is, for example, very important, but also, um, you know, just taking care of yourself a little bit better, uh, you know, resting, very important as well, something that almost no one does enough, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it's something that that now I, I almost have an excuse to do that, you know, um, which is uh, which is good. So I must say, even though it was uh, quite horrific, um, you know, my life sort of changed for the better, for sure. I mean, it, it, it's quite a difficult thing, I suppose. The world of nightclubs and DJing and electronic music isn't well. It's a late night world, you know, a lot of stress. Is it hard to sort of relax in that kind of? Uh, with that kind of schedule and that kind of environment? Um, I think you have to sort of get used to, um, yeah, the traveling schedule and sort of taking your your naps or your sleep whenever you're able to. Um, I must say that even before this whole thing happened, um, I already gave up drinking. Uh, I don't do any drugs and I don't smoke. And these kind of things help a lot, especially when you do a lot of touring. Uh, I mean... It's not so bad doing one gig or two gigs a week, but if you do three or four in a row and then every week, uh, it just wears you down too much. So um, I think it's important to just stay healthy. But um, I mean, you know, whoever wants to do whatever, it's totally fine by me, obviously. But to be able to do what I want to do, and that's playing music for people, um, I just need to be healthy, basically. You look very healthy, I'm glad. (laughs) I mean, it also inspired your your music correct yeah I, I would say so I mean um, um, I think after the heart attack um, I also started looking back a little bit like where my sort of musical roots were and um, I basically got into electronic music years and years ago uh, through drum and bass and Detroit techno um, those are basically my two biggest influences but um, as far as DJing I started as a drum and bass DJ um, so, you know, that sort of aesthetic, you know, sub bass and fierce beats and that kind of stuff. And then sort of a sort of sci-fi atmosphere or whatever. Um, that's sort of something that's always been with me. And um, I think, yeah, maybe um, in, in a sort of non-retro way, <laughs> um, I started to incorporate that a little bit into the music again. 
And uh, I must say, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying uh, being in the studio now and just sort of working with those influences again. So I wanted to get onto this because now this may be me being entirely unfair, but um, I have always thought your music fits very well with the sort of British framework and not so much within the Dutch music scene. But am I wrong with that? Is there a lot of this in Holland? Um, I mean, there is there is a bit. Um, I mean, we were um, like when I started out, um, I used to go to London a lot to buy records because there was just not there's not that much around in Holland. So um, we would go for a weekend and then just sort of catch three or four raves and then do the record shopping in the daytime. Um, so I was basically infected by UK music and UK club music. Um, and the first thing we wanted to do when we went to London was throw our own parties and make them look like the Blue Note, you know. Um, that never really uh, <laughs> happened, I think. But but at least it was a good start. And um, yeah, I think so. So yeah, UK music was massive for us, you know, and for a lot of people in Holland. But um, there's obviously also a much more sort of cordoned off Dutch techno scene which I was never really part of but obviously I came across a lot of those people at a later stage so. okay uh, we're gonna play a song now I want you to tell me which one song reminds you the most of that London scene of going to the Blue Note and listening to drum and bass one of my songs or any uh, any song okay. um, I would pick uh, Dillinger Threshold Oof. Dillinger Threshold. Thank you. 
Right, welcome back. That was Dillinger with, with Threshold. The choice of Martin reminded him of his excursions to London. Um, we all talk a lot about the genre of music. Um, and I find your music quite hard to describe. I mean, the term post-dubstep is used, but it's not, and I see why, but it's not really a term that means a lot to me. What, how, do, how do you describe what you do? Um, I mean, I used to sort of describe it somewhat arrogantly, maybe, uh, just as Martin music, because um, I think... Well, we talked about drum and bass before. Um, for me, drum and bass kind of has three like layers, I would say. You know, there's sort of a sub-bass layer. There are the, you know, sort of beats, interesting beats and percussion. And then there is a sort of atmospheric, like science fiction-esque uh, vibe to it, you know? And I think like m almost all of my music has these three sort of characteristics. But what changes is tempos, uh, you know, ideas, beats, you know, that, that, and maybe genres. So I never really think in genres. I, I mostly think in those three elements. And that's kind of how I make music. I collect a lot of sounds, you know, work on, these sort of, on this sort of vibe, uh, try some things with beats, because it has to be sort of interesting on the beat side of things, and then just some dubby bass line on the bottom, and then we're done, you know? So, so I think that's kind of how I would sort of approach it in the studio. Never never with a real genre in my head. Never like, I'm going to make a techno track or I'm going to make a, you know, a post-dubstep or whatever. So. What do you think about the recent trend for sort of techno and house DJs to put breakbeats into their songs? It seems to have become quite fashionable of late. Um, I mean... Um, I think a lot of it is quite uh, kind of basic. Like the the thing about what appealed to me in drum and bass was that uh, the music was really advanced, like studio-wise and sound-wise. You know, they were always trying to push things to like an another level sound-wise, and that's something that I haven't really sort of heard. Bar a few, you know, really good producers that are doing that now, like maybe Special Request or. Tesla or people like that, you know. But apart from that, I mean, yeah, maybe the aesthetic is more like sort of hardcore, you know, and not really drum and bass. Um, I mean, like I said, you know, if you have a really good idea and the g the right elements are in the track, then it doesn't really matter if it was made in 1991 or in, you know, 2019 for me at least. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, trends come and go. <laughs> Okay, so your most recent album was Voids, 2018. What should we listen to from Voids and why? Um, good question. Um, the two things I like best uh, from Voids, it basically because I felt like I sort of accomplished the original idea that I had for the track, is a track called Mind Rain um, and another one called Manchester uh, because they were just you know, sort of, they flowed really nicely. Like when, you know, when you have an idea in the studio, sometimes you work on something for months to fine tune it and it never really like crystallizes or something. And there's also times when I make something in half a day and it's just done, you know? And both of those were basically half a day tracks where it just immediately sort of clicked. So, so that would be my two favorite tracks. Okay, I'm gonna listen to Manchester because I want to ask you about that. It's Manchester. <laughs>
That was Manchester by Martin from the Voids album from 2018. So Manchester was, am I right in saying, uh, an ode to the city, but also to Marcus Intellects, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. What, what is about it, about Manchester that you love? Um, well, first of all, um, the sort of Marcus Intellects link is um, quite important because uh, when I started doing my own drum and bass nights way, way back, he was one of the DJs that would play at my nights. Um, and so when I started making music, he was also one of the first people uh, that I would send music to and would get feedback from. Um, and eventually he started signing my music, so I released a few things on his label. And then years later, um, he started making sort of techno and house, which I then released on my label. So there was like a lot of, uh, yeah, like a, you know, a good sort of collaboration going on over the years. Um, also, um, yeah, I visited Manchester a lot through 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 him and uh, also by it's you know playing lots of gigs there and stuff and uh, yeah just the city i really like the city um i like the music that comes from there you know also the all the 80s stuff that's from manchester uh like the rudy column certain ratio that, those kind of bands um and i love uh, record shopping there so um so yeah so that's a a, a big like one of my favorite cities for sure so. i used to live in manchester and uh Eastern Block has got to be the most intimidating record store I've ever visited. Oh yeah, really? Why is that? It, it was maybe this is maybe this somewhere, but back in the day, it always felt like you'd go in and ask for a record, and they'd be like, "Really? You want that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think Marcus Marcus worked at Eastern Block for a little while. I mean, this was the old one. I think the new one is far more friendly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's a cool shop. I mean, there's loads of. Um, really nice ones you know there's a um, just a music and video exchange there's loads of really good bits and piccadilly and yeah it's, i love the city yeah so i want to ask uh we're, we're gonna play another song why not um and this is a question i ask a lot but i find it quite interesting what one song of yours would you play to someone to explain what you do uh, um that's quite hard because I don't really like to listen to my own music all that much. Like for me, it's like I make the music, I finish it, and then for me, it's it's out of my system. You know, it's also uh, sometimes I get criticized by friends, you know, who say like, "Well, when you're DJing, you always forget to play your own tunes," and it's literally because it's not in my mind. Like in my mind is new and interesting music that I want to play to people, but you know, I don't consider my own music that. You know. So it's it's always a bit of a tough one to uh, to choose something that would really be sort of me. But um, if if you ask maybe about a, a classic, I would say Vancouver. Um, it's it kind of sits really well in that sort of like you said post dubstep sound maybe. But it also has much more to it at, at least for me. Um, you know, a, such a much more sort of techno approach to music, and um, I think I, yeah, it succeeded quite well in that one. So maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we'll try that. Vancouver, let's do it. Vancouver.
That was Vancouver, the track that Martin would, if very much pushed, uh, <laughs> use to sum up his his career. Um, you you mentioned uh, you you worked with um, Marcus Intellex as well, correct? Yes, yeah, we did a we did a track together, um, but like I said, most of the work we did together was just yeah, gigging and and you know exchanging music and that kind of stuff. You've done a lot of collaborations. How do they work? What makes a good collaboration for you? Well, um, I must say that um, for a very, very long time, I didn't collaborate with anyone um, because um, it was quite intimidating. And I must say, uh, to collaborate well with someone, you need to have a certain amount of confidence in your own music, I think, to be able to just sort of step into a studio and say, like, okay, this is what I'm bringing to the table. What do you have, you know? And um, I think for a while, I didn't really like that. Also, I felt like, you know, maybe I'm giving away my tricks or, or something like that, you know. So I wasn't, I was never really that comfortable um, with it. I did uh, like a few uh, little projects sort of online, you know, bouncing music back and forth. But the sort of first really serious collaboration was with Steffi. Uh, we did a project called Doms and Dikers, which is our, our two surnames. And... Um, and that was literally, you know, days and days in the studio, jamming and, and that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot from it because, um, yeah, it's just a, a completely different approach to making music, obviously, than what I do uh, at home in the studio. Um, and it's also, yeah, you know, two people have two viewpoints, you know, so there's a lot of discussing going on and a lot of decision making. And uh, and it's it's cool to sort of, you know, learn that way from other people. When, when you're collaborating in this way, I mean, say we're with Forte, um, who gets the, the final say? Um, I mean, in in the case of Fortet, it was um, mostly online. Um, we did, you know, do a lot of sort of discussing on the phone, I remember. But um, it actually, sometimes it goes really quick, you know. You just have loads of ideas. You push it to someone else. Someone else interprets that a, in a different way, like in a unique way. So I got like, a, you know, a Fortet version of my track back. 
then you know I see something that I can add to it so I add like a breakdown or whatever and then send it back and that's kind of how you end up with a, a basic arrangement and once you sort of agreed on that or you did a couple different versions then yeah it's it's basically it can can be really smooth like in the Forte case was re- very smooth so is there anyone at Primavera Sound you'd like to work with um Wow, there's, there's so many people at Primavera Sound. Um, I don't know. It's, that's a hard question. Um, well, I just saw Tesla, actually. He played yesterday, I think. Um, I really like his music and the stuff he does with Overmono. Um, and they're playing My Night as well in New York in a couple months. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. But that would definitely be someone, yeah, someone that I would want to work with. Let's just put that out there, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so you are you are uh, DJing tonight. Yes. What can we expect? Um, well, very few of my own tracks. <laughs> so, I mean, I will do my best to play something. I mean, I have a couple new things, so I'll probably play those because uh, I do like to sort of road test stuff a little bit. Um, I did a new EP for Oskuton um, with three tracks on it and those three are, you know, I've been playing those a lot as well. Um, I play a lot of new stuff, like a lot of new UK sort of, what is it, garage kind of funky house stuff, um, load of, yeah, just lots of percussive music at the moment, uh, very few melody uh, inspired things. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's usually like a mix of things and just see where it goes, you know. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the new EP because the details haven't been officially released yet, I think. But uh, there is one track on that that's about 170 BPM, correct? Yeah, I did like a, you know, like we were talk- saying before, um, you know, this sort of back to the roots approach made me uh, go back into uh, the 170s. Uh, a lot of my friends from from way back are also still making drum and bass. There's a guy called DJ Nympho who um, releases on Metalheads and those kind of labels, and so he sends me a lot of his music. So that's what kind of triggered me a little bit as well to, you know, just to sort of uh, go back and in also into these old sort of techniques of programming beats and things like that, and just to see where it goes, you know. But it's fun. I have a few sketches on the go as well, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. What are those sketches sounding like? What's going to be coming up what do you think um i mean uh it it will still have sort of my sound i would say um but i've also been listening to a lot of more current drum and bass stuff and it's quite stripped down at the moment and you know very sort of oriented on bass lines and much less on beats uh, which i find um sometimes not as interesting so uh, so i've just been sort of playing around with programming beats and you know trying to do more percussive stuff and yeah we'll see what happens so we're going to play another song I, I, you, I'm going to give you a choice of two things either your short fire DJ classic you know if you see the floors lacking energy what do you play or something something really new that's really working for you at the moment um, something new of course okay well what, what do we got um, there's a, a really um, uh, interesting producer from uh, England called Noir and uh, he signed a tune to my label so uh, I'll have to give you the tune <laughs> thank you yeah and uh, it's called Balas and um, it's kind of like a yeah sort of percussive funky house thing but I think you'll like it
to ask about something uh, outside of music for a bit. Your yeah. dad, I, I've only just found this out. I didn't know this before. He was a football player, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. But a big music fan. Yes, that too. Um, actually, um, it's funny. Um, I do remember when I was little, um, he would obviously play on Sundays, Sunday afternoons. So when he would play home games, um, he would be, you know, at the house in the morning, we would have pasta for breakfast because obviously he needed loads of carbs, you know, for the game. And then um, there'd usually be like a, a bit of a, like a playlist that he would play like sort of to get into the vibe. So there's, these, there's certain records that even now, if I hear those records or those particular songs, it just brings me back instantly to, you know, to those sort of Sunday mornings. It's like what I associate with, you know, Sunday mornings with. And um, so he was kind of like, almost like a, you know, like a proper playlist, but then way, way back um, to just sort of, uh, yeah, to get into the mood for the game. And it's not just, uh, he, he was, I, I was reading the top scorer, I think, in the 1977 UEFA Cup. I mean, that's quite something. Are, are you a football fan? Um, I used to, I don't follow it as much anymore because living in the States is kind of hard to follow all the games live and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, I follow um, PSV Eindhoven, which is the, the team where my dad used to play as well. Um, so I followed them a little bit. Um, I must say I also kind of fell out of love a little bit with football, you know, like the game has changed quite a lot and, you know, sort of commercialism has sort of taken over a bit. So I don't enjoy it as much. But I mean, yeah, there's still good games, obviously, you know, like I watched the Ajax one, you know, um, the one against the Spurs, that was really a good game. And so I do like watching it still, but I just don't, it's not like completely on it anymore. I do watch ice hockey in the States because that's really popular there. So. Yeah, uh, someone say your team is the Washington... Capitals. Yeah, the Washington Capitals. Why, why do you like ice hockey? What's um, it was funny, like I moved to the States and I went to a soccer game or a football game, uh, DC United against LA Galaxy. Um, and uh, LA Galaxy had David Beckham playing at that time. So um, we went there and uh, just, it was awful. Like the game was really bad. Um, the level was just really bad. And I was like, I just can't like get into this, you know? and. Um, then, sort of by pure uh, coincidence, um, we got some free tickets for the Washington Capitals uh, for a hockey game. It was a playoff game, so it was like a lot on the line and stuff. And we went there, and uh, I sort of got hooked. You know, um, they have the rivalry that you have in football in Europe, and they have like it's quite tough and it's quite sort of uh, yeah energetic. And it's it's nice to see it live is definitely a really great experience, I would say. And uh, maybe for TV is not that much, but. Yeah, live is is amazing. So that's how I got hooked, and uh, ever since I watched like eighty games a year. So does it inspire your music in any way? Do you see a crossover between the two? Mm, no, not really. I mean, um, I do have quite a few sort of producer friends in the states that that also follow uh, hockey. So we have like a fantasy league team and all that kind. Of, I mean, it's a bit nerdy, but it's uh, it's fun. Yeah. I, do you think your music's changed since moving to the states? I mean, I, I I asked earlier about sort of the British thing and the Dutch thing, but I. I, I don't, again, I don't see your music as being particularly American, but again, that might be my ignorance, I suppose. Um, I don't think it has that much influence where I am. I mean, um, I've always been sort of on the outskirts. Like, I, I never really, like, I, obviously, I play in London and I play in Berlin and all that, but I would never want to sort of live there because I feel like maybe my music would be too much influenced by that sound, you know, and by being around too many people doing the same thing. So I quite like sort of being, you know, like in Eindhoven where I grew up or in, in Washington where there is a scene, but it's quite small and it's quite sort of independent. So you can just keep doing your own thing, you know. So I wouldn't say my music is particularly American or, or even English or Dutch, you know. It's just more like a, a, a global thing, I would say. And you're saying you have a residence in New York? Yeah, yeah, I do um, six nights a year at a place called Good Room in New York, which is a really like cool, like cozy little club that holds maybe 400 people with a really good sound system. And um, so me and uh, the guy who, who runs the club, we sort of program the nights together. We have a, I'm the resident together with a, a girl called Shy Eyes. Um, and we just have guests, sometimes from abroad, some American guests, you know, and just uh, sort of try and push the sound a little bit further every time so uh, it's quite sort of wide-ranging uh, quite beats oriented you know from Doc Scott to uh, DJ Moxie to yeah to loads of different people and you were on Flying Lotus's label Brain Feeder correct yeah yeah that's right 
How, how did that come about? Um, I get, well, you remember we played the, that track Vancouver a little bit earlier. Um, around the time that that came out, um, I guess uh, Flylow was kind of moving in London quite a bit and sort of, you know, having a little taste of the sort of dubstep sound. You know, um, he was friends with Code 9 and with people like that. And um, that's kind of how I got onto his radar and he sort of got in touch and started talking. This was also when I just moved to the States. And um, yeah, he, he was like, well, you know, the door is open if you ever want to do something on Brain Feeder. And uh, I just uh, finished an, a record for my own label at that time. And I was kind of ready for something a little bit bigger, maybe. So um, I did an album for Brain Feeder. And we did a lot, a lot of touring. And I did a lot of warm-up slots for his live show and all that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, cool, a cool crew. You know, uh, him and then uh, Thundercat's a really good guy. And just amazing. One of my favorite musicians, I would say. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's such a talented little little group, you know. It's it's strange because it's one of those signings that, on the face of it, doesn't make sense. I mean, it's not like you're not making like hip hop or anything like that. But um, I can sort of see it working in a way. There's there's some kind of connection, I think. Right. I mean, I, I must say, um, if I sort of look at all the labels and and all the people I worked with you know, over the last, say, 10 years or whatever. Um, it's, just a, it's just a very sort of varied group of people and sounds, you know, and I kind of pride myself in that a little bit. Like, I feel that that's like a, a bigger accomplishment maybe than to just, you know, keep doing stuff on the same label and, pr you know, promoting the same sound, you know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, um, like I said, you know, uh, there's not many artists that had a, a record on Brain Feeder, but also on Osgood Tone. And also on Ninja Tune, you know, it's like so three very different um, sounds and labels. Um, and yeah, it, for some reason, I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna play out, um, and I'm gonna well, I'm gonna give you a choice again between my two favorite. They're actually next to each other on the album. Okay. Uh, Viper and masks. Which one? Masks. Why? Yeah. Um, just um, a tune that. Actually, I do enjoy playing that out. Finally! <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's just, I don't know, it just rolls really nicely. It's something that you can sort of slot in everywhere. Like, a, it's, it's a bit of a, like, I call it a safety record. Like, you know, wh when you sort of, you know, when you're DJing and you went into some sort of direction and you're looking at the crowd and you're like, ah, I'm not sure if they really are getting this. Then you could also, you always just drop masks and then you're sort of back on track, you know? Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll play out with masks.